And welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast and YouTube Extravaganza. As always, I am Nick Cameron of Glacially Musical, and I am joined by the man who you will never see, Keefe Chameleon. How are we doing today, buddy? Just call me Zartan. Zartan, that's a good one, but uh, Dreadnoughts doesn't work for this. But as always, it is beer, metal, and swearing. I am going to do my beer check today. I am rocking a Brewdog Iron Maiden Hellcat. It is an India Pale Lager. Hopefully that came out well. Watch me pour. Gonna not do anything silly like last week, like pour on myself, which I am doing. Ah, shit. It's solid. Oh, no. I mean, a good two ounces is on my leg. Oh, no, man. Um, where did you on? acquire the Maiden beer? Because I haven't seen it in any stores. This is at my local store, Randall's which uh, big fan of Randall's. They have uh, several locations in the St. Louis area. When I knew that we were moving into the right place was when they opened up a new Randall's that would be directly on my way home from work. So I have a Randall's next to a Chinese restaurant. And I'm like, holy hell, this is just, this is it. I, I'm moving into the right neighborhood. I am in a very prestigious neighborhood of St. Louis. It is the Southampton neighborhood. I am in the Hamptons, as it were. That's amazing. I uh, Yeah, I have been unable to locate the beer. I don't know if this is the first time we have both had a banned beer on the same day, but I am having the uh, Deftones Beauty School Pilsner from Ooh. Belching Beaver. As you know, I'm a fan of these Deftones Belching beers. Beaver. That is a California brewery. They do a lot of collabs with the Deftones. They are sold in Trader Joe's across the country. Not my Trader Joe's, unfortunately. Some other beers that they do sell. Phantom Bride is still in production from years ago. But this is the most recent beer they have put out, Beauty School. I'm going to pop it open and check it out right now. This is my first time. Seeing that, seeing the logo, uh, if you're not watching on YouTube, now is a great time. Stop that. That logo is giving me giving me a headache. It's it's like I've already had too many. So okay, it is uh, delicious. Um, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. It's um, it's a pretty good beer. I like this brand and I like these beers. Um, I also since we're in the in, in the game of uh, beer, metal, and swearing, not beer, but I wanted to share with you. I got sent something very special that I have to figure out how to use. But the Kiss Drink It Up team sent me a bottle of cold gin distilled gin. So I wanted to share this with you. I'm going to – I already unboxed this thing in a <laughs> ghost cult video. They sent it in a, in a box. And uh, here's the bottle. We'll see if this translates to this video here. But there's the Kiss cold gin and the light is kind of on it. There we go. Get a, yeah. Get it in focus a little bit next to my face. But yeah, it's pretty badass with a little note card. Cheersing the Ghost Cult team. I think when you buy this from them, it comes with a Kiss guitar pick. I did Ooh. not get one because I think this is like really right off the line, one of the first bottles. And they sent it to oh. me to do a review of. I don't drink gin, but I'm going to now. So hear me out. Next week, <clears throat> instead of beer metal and swearing, it's martinis, metal and swearing, or bust out my Trader Joe's vodka. Well, here's the other thing: stuffed I, olives. I, I prefer vodka to gin, but here's another thing: it hasn't happened yet. 
but maybe by the time of our next recording, I may have my hands on a free bottle of blackened American whiskey by Metallica. That would be even nothing against Kiss because I love Kiss and I love Metallica, but I'm more of a whiskey person than a gin person. This is not much. So if I get the, the, I'd be more willing to do like the whiskey, which it is a sipping whiskey. It's not like a shots whiskey like JMO or, or Jack, but uh, I'm, I'm very interested in if they send me this black and whiskey and then I might interview the distiller, the master distiller. So we'll see. I, I am interested in the blackened whiskey. Part mm. of it is because they have the barrels being pounded by Injustice for All all day. Which yeah, is a whole playlist actually that they picked, which is insane. Which makes no sense. I can't imagine it does anything, but... I'm going to ask. It's supposed to affect the process somehow. Uh, just for the record, I have a coffee injury today. I did this getting a coffee at at the office today. So, uh, yeah, that, that's awesome. But uh, so it's beer, metal, swearing, and vinyl. So I got my vinyl check. You ready for yours? I'm ready. Are you ready? How many? I'll start days? off with mine. Last week, and I have mentioned this on social media multiple times. We in the the tool chaser mentioned my mutual Twitter follower King Loaf of uh, Mark Porkchop Holder, and the week before that, I had mentioned. Actually, I mentioned it both that week. So I realized I didn't have any pork chop. So picked up the latest on Discogs, Death in the Blues. It's, it's a little old, but the person who sold it to me mislabeled it. Surprise, Starburst. Oh, that's cool. Maybe they didn't even know. It said Starburst on the, on the, on the cover, so maybe he didn't realize, but... Either way, I have the Starburst 180 gram vinyl. Listen to it today. Came in the mail yesterday. Spectacular, spectacular record, especially if you like slide guitar. And picked up Guar, this toy litter. What's great about this one, you may notice I'm in the Mylar sleeves already. Split vinyl color. Now, a lot of people love the splatter and the starburst. Personally, I think the split looks cooler than the splatter and the starburst. Got one more for you last this week. And I know we've all heard about the slap heard round the world. And it affected me deeply. And it made me do the one thing to lash out at a cruel world that I could do by a fucking record. And that record is, he's the DJ, I'm the rapper, by by the Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff. It features such amazing tracks as Parents Just Don't Understand, which I think is the first number one rap hit by uh, an African-American duo. And it's also that Nightmare on My Street, which scared the holy living piss out of me as a young boy. He's got the body, I've got the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I picked up this week. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I, you know, we, we, things affect us differently. And uh, it occurred to me when, when the slap happened, you know, I never did get that, that Fresh Prince record. Will Smith was the clean, safe, nice rapper for a long time. And uh, hopefully his next rap, rap record is all gangster rap and, and just gutter shit. Wait, so you think um, he should pull an MC Hammer? 
Yes. Pumps in a pump. Pumps in a pump. He should pull an Eminem and get progressively savage now for the rest of his career. Um, yeah, pumps in a bump. Terrible. Uh, oh, it was all terrible. I mean, Hammer had one record and then kept going. Um, parents just don't understand. And then he has another banger on that one beside the Freddie song. There was um, another one that was in the, the Kids same... of the World Ain't Nothing But Trouble. No. Oh. I don't mean to bust your bubble, but Kids of the World Ain't Nothing But Trouble. I think that was on his next one. Okay. Because that's the one, if I'm not mistaken, that samples I Dream of Genie, which I love. That's like the coolest use of a TV theme song in a rap. Wait a minute. Is that, are you sure that's not Digital Underground from the movie Nothing But Trouble? No, definitely okay. not. I mean, they might have also got that idea, but I'm pretty sure it was... Well, this record is actually a double LP because if there's anything you need, it's a double LP by the it's Fresh It's a Records. double LP of an 80s rap record that's probably like 35 minutes. Yeah, no, it's like it's like an hour and a half. It, I mean, they, they did it. Most of these songs are like six minutes long and what you no. don't need is clean rap at six minutes long because they're not saying anything. Uh, yeah, that is not on this. Although okay. Rhythm Tracks House Party style is. All right, then. I don't um, know what that is. I never. I didn't listen to the second record because it didn't have the songs I knew on it. So, indeed, indeed. Well, you have all new vinyls. I was. I've been expecting just a. I don't know if we're gonna. Do, we're still gonna do that chaser idea where we do like a gang of your late father-in-law's records. But uh, I'm. I'm impressed at your restraint. Uh, at the same time. And I think you said you had bought like 24 new records. You and the family collectively recently. So, um, I have it's, a lot of stuff coming. Uh, and some other stuff in hand, but the one that I wanted to highlight for me this oh, week. I'm sorry, I actually forgot one. Let me pause this for just a moment. Totally sorry about that. I forgot about this one because I already put it on the shelf and I didn't keep it in the waiting to be shown pile. I picked up this one last Thursday, which shows how. I said I wasn't going to buy this record, and I said I wasn't going to buy any of these pressings record, but here we are. Metallica's The Black Album. None more black. None more black. Also, it's got the Mylar inner sleeves, and it is the Walmart pressing. The Walmart pressing. Uh, so, I think that's the one I don't have, and I can't believe you found it in the store. That shit boggles my fucking mind. Got it used, 25 bucks. If you oh you got it used okay I thought you found it in the store in a Walmart that would have been unbelievable. No, I haven't been in a Walmart in two years. I don't like going to Walmart. Period. And in the city of St. Louis, we have none. I have to actually leave the city to go to one. We our our grocery stores here are unionized, so Walmart doesn't want to be a part of it. I understood. So this one was used at the record exchange came across and I went, no. Yes. Well, if you see another one, let me know, because that's the one I don't have. I have uh, do you have a black cover? Do you have a black copy of it? A what? You've got a black copy of it or anything other? I That's the one Metallica of the Walmart oh. series I do not have. Do so you have a black version of it? Do you have any I other? I have no pressing? version of the black album oh, on the vinyl. I would, I would swap it straight up. I don't care. Oh. <laughs> no worries. Um, before I was interrupted, I apologize. I was, it's I'm okay. Awful. I I I'll allow it because I was late 
So you really should have been prepared <laughs> since I should have been this late. I was I was doing the cat poop. Oh, the scoop. I hate the scoop, but yeah. Well, not to. just the scoop, but we take out the cat poop twice a day. Twice a day. Twice a day. Many take cats? Out. How many boxes? One box for all these cats or two boxes? Two boxes. Two boxes. Okay. Because cats are very territorial. They don't want to share. They they will if it's not done twice a day, they will poop and piss on the floor. That's crazy. We they are will just say Mar- we are like, look, this is this is our house now. We're now into Mark Marin territory. We're talking about cats. Um and poop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a lot of things coming in that I ordered months ago. I have some things on the way, but, uh, I picked this one. I, I really wanted to single out this one. I treated myself to a show just kind of as a fan, no ghost cult responsibilities. I went to see the last night of the tour from Sepultura, Sacred Reich, Crowbar, and the Art of Shock. I got in the venue just in time to catch the end of Art of Shock. Didn't really get a whole full picture of them. I uh, love Crowbar, Sacred Reich, and Sepultura. Uh, Sepultura, of course, had their drummer fall off stage and break his leg six nights before the end of the tour. And they immediately, they missed one day. They got a fill-in who was amazing. So they changed their set list they'd been playing where they were playing a lot of stuff off their recent album, Quadra and Sepulquadra. But instead, they were they were doing like all a lot of old school stuff. So I got treated to like some jams they haven't been doing. So that was a treat. Sacred Reich I love, and uh, Crowbar I love, and I got a Sacred Reich vinyl autographed from the band. And uh, yeah, this is uh, weirdly they said they hadn't been selling these on tour at all. This is uh, ignorance. I have Surf Nicaragua, and uh, and they have a live record that's also worth having. And this is on this. This is a for like 40 bucks i didn't ask you how much yours were you can talk when i'm done. Oh, oh sorry um since you already interrupted me once um but yeah like considering this was 40 bucks it came with a download card which you know i don't always anticipate some of these you know newer records will come with a download card but obviously a lot of these older vinyls don't um a very cool you know autograph front cover a very cool printed lyric sheet old school and this, uh, because Metal Blade is doing all these kind of reissues, I, I'm pretty sure this is a reissue. Um, this is kind of like, so the outside is paper, but the mm-hmm. inside is mylar. What's your stance on these? That's perfect. I mean, I don't, to me, and I, I am a little odd when it comes to this. I don't care about the packaging. I really don't. One, I, the only thing I care about the packaging is what you're charging me. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm coughing up a storm, apparently. Uh, it's not COVID, it's just I swallowed some spit wrong. But with, uh, like, the KISS off the soundboard series, they're charging between 60 to $70 for a manila cardboard sleeve with no lyric sheet or anything. That bothers me, because that should be $35, not 60 Yeah, I, you know, I think KISS, like everything else, the markup is, you know unbelievable well i mean they're they're wetting their beak on the excuse me they're wetting their beak on the resale on the resale market because every i don't really do much kiss vinyl anymore any new stuff anyway because i know that there's going to be people buying eight copies of each one in order to flip it and so it's like okay you guys are the kiss army is is pricing me out and i'm not gonna I'm, i'm not gonna get hosed on that 
And uh, Kiss is actually re-released or repressing their newest announcement is uh, Greatest Kiss Vinyl, the Greatest Hits album they released on the reunion tour, which had only been pressed on vinyl in the Kisteria box set. You can get this particular Greatest Hits for $50 or $200. I don't need it. And I can just give you a big middle finger and not give two craps about any of it. Kiss has put out one thing on vinyl I really would like to have, and that was the... And even though they're not good albums, I would like to have the Kiss solo albums on vinyl because they were beautifully put out on four-color vinyl matching the costumes of the band at that time, 78, the Dynasty costumes. Yeah, it was 200 bucks. Yeah, I just can't. I just can't. But like... I, I have an original like pressing of Ace, and that's all I need. Yeah, I would like Peter, especially an Ace, and the uh, you know, the, you know, it'd be interesting that and fun to have as a set to display or to listen to in a day. Um, other than the classic Kiss records on vinyl, like my first vinyl ever was Rock and Roll Over when I was like five. So, right. and I I don't buy records to display. I saw one person saying, "Oh, I wanted Greatest Kiss to have a vinyl copy for my display." I don't have that one, and I'm like, that's. Okay, you know what, if that gets you through the night, that's great. But, you know, for me, the only thing I care about is what comes out of my speakers. It's not what surrounds the grooves, it's what's in the grooves for me. Mm. That's why I don't care about that stuff. But as for what things cost, my copy of the Black Album was $25, which is presently market value on Discogs, $25. My copy of... Uh, Mark Porkchop Holder. I got a deal on it. It was ten bucks. Same. Uh, Fresh Prince was ten bucks. Guar was thirty-five. You are a very good value and bargain hunter. Oh my God! Yes. I mean, vinyl is—it's a luxury. It is by every stretch a luxury for me because I can get most of this stuff at the library for free if I want to. But what often, what I do more often than not is I go to the library, I listen to an album, and I go, oh, that's good. I rip it, and then I buy the record. You know, so I, I've got a legitimate copy of it in some way. Because, and when it comes to, you know, smaller artists, my God, you just have to support these people. Even if I don't, like I have Hath, I have Endless Floods, I have uh, Briagnalfa, which is not the actual name of the band. I can't pronounce it. Irish something or other, Into the Storm, Un, uh, Terrasoma, lots of these small bands, and I just buy the record, and I can download it on Bandcamp, and, you know, when you buy those, those are $25, $30, So you got a bargain hunt on the big stuff. You know, Fresh Prince doesn't need my money, so yeah, I got it. I got it for, it might have been like $8, plus like five bucks shipping. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't significant by any stretch. And in order to keep the train flowing, yes, I do bargain hunting. I actually was at the, I think I told the story last week, but I was at the antique mall a couple of weeks ago and there was free, there was Bruce Kulick, there was all kinds of good stuff, but it was like, you know, I don't know how much I'm going to listen to this stuff. So I didn't buy anything. Noted, noted. Um, so yeah, that's the vinyl check for today. Uh, I don't know if we have any news or notes to share before we get into today's episode. We don't. Um, did we talk right. about Pink Floyd last week with the new song? We did not. That came out on Monday, I believe. Yeah, 
we didn't end up talking about it, but uh, Pink Floyd has a brand new song. It is for charity. It is you know sounds like Pink Floyd with a different singer. Agreed. Um, and it's not a bad tune, and they literally wrote it in like half an hour. So and they, recorded it in two. So reco- yeah, literally recorded it on uh, Gilmore's boat, and uh, it's got Nick Mason and David, and uh, they were you know collaborating. And Guy Pratt and uh, whoever the guy is playing keyboards for David. Right. Frankly, I just don't remember, and I apologize yeah. to that gentleman. No worries. And then he looks like Kenny Rogers. He a little bit. They uh, collaborated with a. Um, he actually looks like old Matthew Lillard with gray hair and a short crop top do. But uh, they collaborated, you know, with, they recorded with this Ukraine artist who uh, David was inspired by. And, um, yeah, the the single is for charity. Go buy it and support it if you want to support, uh, you know, the... And if you're not going to buy it, at least stream it three or four times? Yeah, it helps. It, every little thing counts. And, um, yeah, it's it's. It, and I didn't have that on my bucket list for the year. And then the exact same week that Pink Floyd puts out a brand new song, Roger has announced additional new headline tour dates for the... I think in my memory, for the first time, you will have to correct me because you are the Roger expert... Roger is billing himself as Roger Waters of Pink Floyd. This is a first. You see, even you're surprised. So you didn't know about this. That is new. That is new. I I don't know if that's a ticket sales ploy, but I'm a little surprised that he has to do that. He doesn't because he plays arenas. You know, he plays arenas basically playing a Pink Floyd set. He said on the Radio Chaos Tour, he was playing in Cleveland playing a 5,000 seater, which he had sold like half of it. And the next day, Pink Floyd was playing the football stadium in Cleveland and had sold it out. They're like, I'm playing a 5,000 seater and these guys are playing the football stadium the next day playing my songs. And I mean, I can understand why that would miff him so. I I am surprised that he didn't go... You sons of bitches, I'm going to copy, I'm going to do this now and do a Ukrainian song. Because, I mean, I was talking I'm about I'm kind of surprised he didn't do it first. He's usually the more charitable one. He's usually on the forefront of these things. The uh, Roger Waters charity single has already been a thing. Yeah, he did Mother for Charity back in the day. By back in the day, I mean 2020. Which I, I actually only heard it recently for the first time. Recently heard it for the first time. And it's spectacular. It's really good. But I, yeah, I'm surprised he didn't, he didn't do it. I was actually, but I was having a conversation with Roger about, about Roger the other day at work. And the thing about, and we had talked about this before, I think, I'm not sure if it was on the podcast or not, but if you watch the live eight performance at the end of the performance and during, well, during the performance, Roger has a smile on his face He's happy. He's not bitter. He's not angry. He's mouthing all the lyrics as they do it. And he's into it and it's great. And David Gilmore is on the other side of the stage. David is stone-faced. He is singing. He is in his moment as he should be because David is an amazing, amazing singer. No matter what you may say about that man, he can make a guitar sing as well as he can sing, which that and that is saying something. After the five songs or whatever, Roger puts his arms around Rick and Nick and David's like, I don't know, man. And then Roger's calling him over. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> and his whole body language is like, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. 
he got into it. it, bro. He does it. And that was when you could tell that there was no, there was no reunion. There was no nothing. No, I mean, I'm glad they did it when they did it for charity. They did it for the right reasons. I'm proud of that moment. Agreed. That was the end anyway. Um, and Rich but passed away sometime later, but. Uh, he passed away about two years after that. He did a tour with David on the Honor Island tour. And God love David. He played his whole record. Open the show. Yeah, playing the record doesn't care. That's awesome. I love doesn't that because you know what? When Ace Frehley plays a show, he plays eighteen Kiss tunes and two Ace tunes, and I count all the solo records. Who the Kiss solo record is Kiss tunes. But anyway, so and I after that, when Roger finally realized that comeuppance, that final moment was never coming. The smile fell from his face. And bitter old Roger came back. Well, you can't always get what you want. And I can't blame David also. Listen, oh, no. a, lot, a lot of money has changed hands. A lot of negativity. A lot of shit talking, backstabbing, front stabbing. And at the end of the day, Roger's on the outside looking in even now. So I, I'm just surprised that he has to resort to, like, I'm pretty sure fans know who he is. And know at least the names Roger Waters and David Gilmore. He doesn't have to say Roger Waters of Pink Floyd in a pink font on a black poster with additional headline tour dates like to hype his tour. Just doesn't seem for the first time ever. He's doing some. I don't know what that means because he's done kind of everything he's already done. I don't know what else there is to do. Pink Floyd Apparently he's going to be playing the powers that be on this next tour. Okay. Which makes me happy because I like that record. Yeah. Most people do not. Eh, it's okay. It's, it's not, that's I'd rather Roger. Hear Kai, I'd rather hear Kaira or something else. That is Roger at his weirdest, trying to be deep and going too far into wacky. It's it's like anime. It's like Bleach. See that. Watch this anime about the typical high school student who's in a band. Oh, also, he has to fight demons on the weekends, and miss any misses. That that is radio chaos. Nice. Uh, apropos of nothing, Thin Lizzy or Pink Floyd related, I have one final question for you before we commence the rest of our episode. Have you seen Metal Lords on Netflix? Is that the one about the the ch- the, the cello player who joins a metal band? I have not because I've already bought the record. It's called Gracion. Stop being cynical for a second. I can't help watch, it. Watch this movie with you. If I can help it, you can help it, first of all. Second of <laughs> all, yeah, really. Second of all, watch this with your daughter and your wife. It's awesome. What streaming service is it? It's on Netflix. Netflix, okay. And it's fun. Stop. Don't go in with high expectations. It's a kid's coming-of-age movie. Uh, it is co-written by the author of Game of Thrones. I, this is the first thing he's done since Game of Thrones. I'm pretty surprised. Tom Morello is an executive producer on this thing. It's not meant to be serious. People look, eh, they couldn't even play. It's not. Just lower your expectations. Go in with an open heart and mind and come back and tell me what you thought of it. Because I personally, I loved it. But right, again, right. I'm not right, as jaded as I like to think I am. As black as my heart can be. Sometimes you got to just take a thing for what it is and appreciate it. 
I'm on beer too, by the way. Locale IPA. You are just rushing through your beer. You've been talking more than me, and you're on a second beer. That's very impressive. It has been a rough week, personally. Mm. It. We are on the downside of it. However, I will say this: it, this it, I don't like to get too personal because I like everybody to believe that I have this wonderful, classy life where there's no problems. But I mean, that's just not reality. The reality is on Friday. Um, I have a funeral. I have a funeral for my aunt, my aunt Peg, who is basically my surrogate mother. When my mother couldn't take care of me, Peg always took me in. So, is is Peg, is Peg her formal name, or is it an abbreviation like Margaret? In the you know, UK? frankly, I don't know. Okay, it, I, I don't know. It's always been Peg. Okay. Well, you have her mother's name was Margaret, and... which is why my kid got the middle name Margaret. Oh. but that's besides the point so yes i i'm dealing with some stuff this week and i suppose i'm sorry to hear that pal and it, yeah, beer and music makes it better it does and that's that is the life the life we live is full of loss we lost gilbert godfrey this week which was oh. another surprise and i i will not tell you that i was the biggest gilbert godfrey fan in the world but i did watch him on up all night and up all night. I can't even do it justice. Yeah, I know. No one will know what that is. Let's move on to Thin Lizzy, if you don't Yeah, mind. this will heal you a little bit, I think. You've this... rambled a bit. I've listened to this record twice today. I know the highlights really well. Doing my best. Not a, not a worry. Um, so to recap the story so far, not the whole story. Whew. We did one episode on the deep background of Thin Lizzy. We did another episode... With their, you know, sort of a second proper record. Last week's episode was Jailbreak, their pinnacle record, their Led Zeppelin IV, mm-hmm. their Black Sabbath Paranoid, their Master of Puppets. It is their Spoiler best Spoiler alert, that record was better than this one. Yeah, of course, but you could... That's, I mean, that's not a fair statement, but... It's not unfair. It's not unfair. Um, that everybody everybody climbs the mountain at some point. Yeah, and and again, they Thin Lizzy had not had a hit record yet. Out of five, that's their sixth record, if I'm not mistaken. And they had a hit single, Whiskey in the Jar, that kind of started putting their sound together. And then they still played two more records, where they it, yeah that's the yeah, Jailbreak is their sixth record. They still played like two more records after Whiskey in the Jar, where they were coalescing. And then had Jailbreak. And Jailbreak should have put them into the Led Zeppelin class. Or right under it. And what happened is, and what always happens is with this band, something happens to mess it up. They go on tour. They're supposed to tour America. It gets aborted. Phil has hepatitis and cannot tour. So he's in the, he's hospitalized for months with hepatitis, apparently. I wonder um, how he got hepatitis. Well, yeah. So... Anyway, uh, it's it's actually I'm you know I, I make light of that a little bit, but it's rare that you hear about. It's very rare that you hear about rock stars getting serious STDs. I mean, they probably do, and we just don't hear about it anymore. Right, Especially it's how rare public everybody's lives are. Um, I think Jacoby Shaddix of Papa Roach has like very publicly stated that he got a venereal disease as a result of child abuse. Um, that's nothing to laugh at. 
or funny. He was trying to make, that one. He was trying to make it funny. I don't think it's funny. I think there's enough groupie business and fans and things like that. I'm not trying to shame anybody, fans or bands, but you know, I just think th- I think that's just the one area that's still kind of like a no-go zone, but uh, if you're supposed to do a sweeping barnstorming tour of America where you have like 50, 60 tour dates booked and then you play less than 10 and fly home sick and don't do anything for 6 months, that's a huge impediment to your career and the sales of your record are going to die. Jailbreak was easily on par with, I would say, Led Zeppelin 2. Led Zeppelin 2 being... I think it's on par with Houses of the Holy. It's that good. It's an incredible record. It has hit songs. It has more hits than Led Zeppelin 2. Right, but Led uh, Zeppelin... It has legit radio songs. Led Zeppelin... I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about my my personal belief in the quality. And Led Zeppelin 2 is considered to be a classic record. However, it it is my least favorite of that run. But interesting. I've heard you disparage their later records also. I, I have only disparaged. I'm not saying Led Zeppelin 2 is bad. I'm just saying I prefer. If I'm going to rank the first six records, it's number six. Fair enough. That's not bad. Um, I have it. I love it. But it's just not. It's not three. It's not four. It's not House of the Holy. It's not. Actually, no, I take that back. It would be Physical number, Graffiti number is technically five. six record. So I don't it's know. It's better Holy than Physical Graffiti. I don't know. No, it isn't. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it isn't. It just isn't. But we can, we're can. going to fight about that. But the point day. is, is I believe that Thin Lizzy made a record on par, on par with Led Zeppelin. They made a record on par with books. every greatest band's greatest record. Agreed. Jail, Jailbreak is their greatest record, and I would put it up against anybody. Then they don't get to tour behind it much at all. And so Phil spends like six months in a hospital. He left for one day to go play a gig and went back sick and while he was in the hospital they gave him an acoustic guitar and he wrote what would become their next album johnny the fox which is the album we're going to talk about today and so you know he kind of comes up with this concept record and a lot of these con a lot of these thin lizzie records he's singing about himself or to himself past or future him uh, this record is a concept record, but he might as well be the person. He is Johnny for all intents and purposes. He's singing about his life and about his goals and dreams and things in a metaphorical way because he is a brilliant lyrical storyteller. And although he was ill for a long time and could not go on tour and could not leave the hospital, that's some illness if you are bedridden for months and infirm. But he put together this record, and then when he finally brought it to the band, they fleshed it out to this thing that it would be. And you know, while he again had already asserted himself as the dominant writer in the band, and it's unquestionably his band, you know, this is, you know, still like his thumbprint is on everything. The other members of the band do get to contribute, do bring in songs. Um, there's there's uh, at least one track on here that he you know he's contributed to every track but there's definitely a few that are pretty full band arrangements and and such and uh in a lot of ways not to spoil it but spoiler alert while you don't have obviously the hits like the boys are back in town and jailbreak and emerald you do have a very deep thorough record all the way through i think because it's a concept record and this isn't like a prog band so it's not The Wall, and it's not 2112, and it's not Tarkus, but it's kind of a concept record by a rock band, a straight-up rock band. 
that I think that this record gets overlooked for its value. But I'm we're gonna go through the tracks, and I'm gonna that is something it. about myself that makes no sense because I think I love concept records more than anyone I've ever known. Period. Is your name How? Keith? Because I don't think so. Oh, we'll we'll fight this another day. I am uh, and the top one percent of the top one percent of concept record lovers. That's just my jam. It always has been. I blame that on the wall, honestly, as the wall yeah, was one fair. of my one of my formative records. It will How, ruin you. However, if you are just a rock band that doesn't do concept records, when I hear you're doing one, it turns me off. That's interesting. It makes no sense. But, you know, I will drink at the tap of King Diamond concept albums, even Voodoo, even the the Grave. I mean, I will just, you know, just pour it, just, just spray it on my face, King. And you know, he's not a great storyteller by any stretch, really. Uh, do maybe, you think... Maybe we need to do a King Diamond run so I can prove you wrong on this. I actually was thinking um, about doing King Diamond next, next, next run, but that's besides the point. Could be fate, could be diamond. Oh, we'll see. Could but be both. could be um, could be both in the nineties. And but I mean, like when Velvet Revolver, their next their second album is going to be a concept record. I'm just like, no, nah, I'm done. I'm good. You guys have fun. And I, which makes no sense because I, I I drink at that tap. I get it. Um, I don't. Best two bands with concept records the last however many decades. Rivers of Nile, and again, your least favorite modern band, Mastodon. Crack the Sky, I put it up there with Dark Side of the Moon and the Wall. But I'm sorry, did you mispronounce Coheed and Cambria? Yes, I did not say Coheed and Cambria. I hot and cold with that band. Um, the Afterman, Ascension and Descension. Yeah. Is it's modern. Okay. It's a, no, what? It's all right. No, it's a modern prog masterpiece. Yeah, I, guess. I said it. I said it. I'll I say guess. it again. No. So Johnny the Fox, though. Uh, they they put this record out. Uh, I'm gonna say about a year, mm, October '76. So this is, you know, two records in the same year. Basically, he came right back with another record. This is literally six months later, after Jailbreak. This record drops. They literally recorded it in August and put out a record in in October. After so we're talking about Jailbreak in March. We're talking about Phil Lynott at what age? 26, 27 at this point? Yeah, for sure. And we're on record seven. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. And and again, even if you throw out the hot, you know, sort of the formative nature of the first few records, it's impressive by any measure that they did this much music in a short span of time. And again, to me, those middle two records, Nightlife and uh, Vagabonds and Nightlife, are very good. Jailbreak is a 10, and Johnny the Fox we're going to talk about now. You left um, out Fighting. I'm sorry, Fighting. Fighting's like a good 8. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then Jailbreak and then Johnny the Fox. So Vagabonds, Nightlife, Fighting. Nightlife jailbreak. was the the beginning of an idea. It was the getting light there. bulb. Yeah, it was the light there. bulb. Fighting was the genesis of the idea, and Jailbreak was the perfection of the idea. And Johnny and the Fox is let's do something else. Slightly, but I think some of those things are also still here. And I just think that he put the emphasis on. I he think, put the emphasis uh, on songwriting rather than yeah, rather than musical sound. exposition. Right, and that's and again, this is you know again a, an album mostly the germ of one person 
right. And if you, to a band effort is going to always be the will of that one person who's. The if leader. you write an album on an acoustic guitar in a hospital bed over the course of a couple of months, it's going to be lyrical exposition more than anything else. Mm. Period. That being said, let's go through the tracks. Sure. And talk about some of these these uh, great again this great storyteller and his great story about himself metaphorically. Uh, he is Johnny the Fox. He's literally singing about himself. So Johnny opens the album, and it's a ripper to me. It's a banger. It's a great album opener. It's a pst, can open, beer can pop. It's and, definitely uh, a beer check. It's a beer check for sure, and it's uh, it's it's pretty raging the whole way through. I think they didn't really have an ending for it, so it kind of fades out awkwardly like a lot of songs yeah. i think like they have so many songs that end on like a vampy climax that like i think this is the point in their career they're like okay fade to black <laughs> um but johnny sets the table for the whole record sets the mood sets the story and again he is a hundred percent he's using metaphors but he's talking about his own struggles and triumphs and again a lot of this me against the man kind of thing that is his whole arc as a person Agreed, and I, I there, there's not much more I can say other than what you have already said about Johnny about the the opening track of Johnny, spectacular song. It is the perfect opening song. It is it is a hook. It is a hook that gets in you, and me I should say it is a hook that got in me and made me want to listen to the rest of it. And more often than not, when we do these on albums that I don't know, I don't get to listen to them all the way through at once. I listened to this album all the way through twice in a row today. Once at lunch, once on the drive home. And nice. this is a, it's, well, it's a 35 minute record. So it's perfect for both of those things. Fair enough. Uh, Rocky is the second song and it is a Brian Downey, Scott Gorham, Linet production. Um, it's solid, not spectacular. It's a Agreed. good second I, song. I don't remember it. It's, Second, a second song I only remember. A second song of a side I only remember if it's amazing or terrible. If it's soft and squishy like this one was, it, it gets forgotten in my head. They can't all be master of puppets. Um, Agreed. And that's Rocky, why, that's why Metallica is... was so smart. They always put their title tracks second. Second, so you would not forget it. Um, Rocky, I don't know if this is an actual allusion to Rocky, the movie, or the story. I don't know what year uh, Rocky The movie is. Rocky right hasn't around... come out yet. Yeah, it's like 77 or 78 for Rocky. I thought it was even later than that, like 79. Mm, I could, could be wrong. But uh, yeah, Rocky is the second track. And again, is so these are either characters in the story or uh, songs that move the story along. So I think he envisioned this like chapters of a book. And exposition. So Johnny is the exposition. It opens the story. It tells the story of Johnny and how his, well, his wild ways. And then Rocky is another chapter that moves the story along. Musically, it's a, it's a little step down from the opener, but there's a reason songs are openers and other ones aren't. Look, but... sequencing is a real thing. It's, you know, Mitch Hedberg says, when you're doing 45 minutes of comedy, you got to start strong and you got to finish strong. 45 minutes of comedy, 45 minutes of music. It's the same thing. It can't be like pancakes. 10 minutes and you're all sick of them. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, next up is the third track, Borderline, which is actually one of the better tracks on the album. Agreed. Uh, it's a it is a very great, strong track. 
great strong rocker. It would have benefited, I think, from some of the harmonies that are not here. But that's that's my only complaint about this one is it, it could have used a little bit of musical exposition. Yeah, they dialed it back. It's a little more straightforward. And I think you will find this record is a little more straightforward where the last mm -hmm. record was mm -hmm. given to exploration and second outro solos and double choruses and things. And this song is definitely, this album is definitely an effort to trim that back. You it's get amazing because both records are the same length, about 36 minutes. Right. And the in Jailbreak is full of musical interludes that this one just does not have. Yeah, and that's okay. I mean, again, different record, different time. Agreed, And maybe, agreed. you know, felt like he wanted to do something completely different. Um, the Arguably the best song on the whole record is the next track, Don't Believe a Word. Um, oh. I love this song. This is a masterpiece track. Uh, every bit about it. Just the riff, the voice, his lyrics, just how he delivers a line. The song is incredible. It this definitely the... stands alone by itself as a memorable song from this record. It probably went like if you if you name off the top songs by the band, this isn't the top three or four because those are all big radio hits. But this would definitely be in the running for the next big song. I like this song better than all of those radio hits because this song strikes a chord where, <clears throat> you know, I I have lived a long life full of people who didn't frankly, who didn't measure up to their word. And so to me, this song was about don't believe my words, believe my actions. My wor words, words are false. Words are flimsy. Actions mm. are real. And that is something, so it, it just struck a chord with me personally and love this song. This is the kind of song for me that absolutely sells records. Mm. Uh, I also want to shout out, uh, again, Downey on this record. We've talked in the past about him being the master of the shuffle, but this is a record where actually he gets to drum hella, hella hard and good. The drumming on Johnny is phenomenal, and the drumming on this song, on Don't Believe a Word, is phenomenal. Like, there are actual little breaks where he's doing, he's, he's grooving, he's hitting hard fills. You would have thought this was different, not the guy who's doing the shuffle the shuffle beat on the boys are back in town. Not I that. See that. Uh, closing side one and another personal favorite, Fool's Gold, which is meant to be a story about the Irish potato famine and immigration to America, but also is a double meaning, I think, emotionally for Phil personally. I think he was alluding to why that you can, you know, they came seeking a better life and didn't get it. And you don't know, you know, even when you get everything you want and your dreams and aspirations go with it, you end up unsatisfied by the result. And I think he was talking about the bigger arc of his whole life and success and stardom, too. So this is a phenomenal song, beautifully written, great guitar, great lyrics, beautiful singing. Just again, I know I keep like a broken record about these topics. I absolutely love the extraordinarily pretentious spoken word part at the beginning because it doesn't. I know why he did it. It he he was setting up the lyrical arc and the, the storytelling arc of the song, but it just reminds me of that really terrible spoken word intro at the beginning of "Shout at the Devil," because it's just that it's it's bad. It's frankly bad. The song oh. is great. I mean, are you up to date on your 
American immigration history and your Irish history and your potato famine history. Maybe he was singing to a larger audience because of Jailbreak and figured people are not going to know what this song is about. I'm up to date. I, no, I know all about that. But a lot of people didn't. I know, I know, but it's still it, the spoken word doesn't fit the song. Okay, that makes. So it doesn't good. matter if the history is right or wrong, in the way I view, in the way my opinion is being framed. My opinion How about is when framed Iron Maiden is, has a spoken intro. Are you a fan of those? I'm not. Which one? I mean, there's a few. Everyone they've used as a sample, and they're all kind of silly. Yeah, they're best. all silly. Because they have the prisoner where they do a sample from the prisoner, and I'm which is poorly, man. which is a poorly acted uh, little bit from the prisoner, I might add. Mm. Then there is with technical difficulties. So if what I am saying does not work, I apologize and I will punch myself in the face later. But so Iron Maiden spoken word intros, they're all samples. I will say the Winston Churchill one is terrible because Carrie Elway's impersonating uh, Winston Churchill was way better than what Winston Churchill actually said. We will we'll fight on the streets. We will fight in the fronts. We will defend our island, whatever that cost may be. He sounds like a drunken fool who's half asleep. My favorite uh, Winston I love you, England. My favorite, yeah, of course, this is no knock on England, but my favorite Winston Churchill impression is rapper Dan Bull on the epic rap battles of history, Teddy Roosevelt versus Winston Churchill, in which Churchill absolutely wins that rap battle. Not Franklin? Teddy, not Franklin? Teddy, not Franklin. Franklin would no be amazing. I want to get Franklin rapping in the wheelchair and rap about how badass Eleanor is. He would be a genius. He was a great orator. But they got Teddy because Teddy is kind of like the unofficial mascot of Epic Rap Battles of History. If you've ever watched it, no, they use him in their commercials. He's well, in the, their commercials. The thing is, is he would uh, Franklin would not be rapping about how badass Eleanor is. He'd be rapping about how badass his mistress was. Hey, oh, the one he was rapping about, like, died. yo, I, I, I helped end the war. I saved the people. I got us out of the depression, all from my wheelchair, sitting down. No, uh, uh, Truman finished the war. I know, I know. But I'm just hey, saying. Truman is the only president from Missouri, and the only hope, president without a middle and name, and hopefully the only president from Missouri ever. Um, hey, we used to have good people. Now it's all yeah. a shit show, but we had good people. Super shit show. Moving right along Moving to side along. two. So Fool's side Gold two. to me is a great song, even oh, if the spoken word intro doesn't work. I forgot to mention something. I listened to this on vinyl, if YouTube is to be believed. It was a vinyl rip. Okay. <clears throat> it didn't have any pops or clicks. So I, I, don't know if I listened to it on my actual vinyl that I had a few weeks ago in my vinyl check. Nice. I got from uh, Thrill House Records in the Mission here in San Francisco, where I will take you if you visit. Um, I'll be out there at some point. At some point. Side two furthers the story of Johnny. Johnny the Fox meets Jimmy the Weed. I wonder what Jimmy the Weed does. <laughs> I, I wonder what Johnny the Fox does that he meets <laughs> Jimmy the Weed. Uh, this is a Downey Gorham line at track. Again, most of this record is under three minutes, under four minutes of song, except two. Um, it's a pretty rocking tune. It's a good opener to side two. It's solid, not spectacular. I think you'll find side two, the I don't want to say diminishes because there's a couple of great ones, but it's definitely uh, a little notch down from the heights of side one. Well, I mean that's that's side twos in general. 
honestly. I mean, not always. Not last week. Last week was four bangers and a classic radio deep cut. So Yeah, and that's that's unusual. It is unusual. Um the next track is Old Flame. Um again another good song, not the best, but a good song and, and you know, whenever Philo is singing about his heart and romance and love, uh it's a it's a definite tearjerker and a panty dropper at the same time. Yeah, I don't remember this one or the next one. Oh no. The next one is one of the more badass tracks. Of all Thin Lizzy, it's on their greatest hits album. This is Massacre, and it is a badass track. Um, It's got a great riff. It's got a groove, good bass, good stuff. This is a very good track. Uh, It's on their greatest hits album, and uh, yeah, one of their better ones. Um, Yeah, it it didn't didn't stick. Nothing for you. Okay. Um, Sweet Marie is the penultimate track, another uh, semi-love song. Love this one. And good song. Good, good song. Good, you know, any any fresh thoughts about this? This is Gorham and Lina kind of together. It's, it, it, it's almost like Al Green. It's almost Stevie Wonder. It's, it's Phil exploring a different part of himself, a different part of what he can do. And that's why it stuck out to me. You know, the Johnny the Fox meets Jimmy the Weed, Old Flame, Massacre. These are up-tempo rockers, and they all kind of blend. And then it goes into Sweet Marie, and it's like, oh, hard left turn. And that's why it's easy. That's why it's much easier for me to remember. And that's why sequencing is important, children. It's not Mm. all just about singles. Fair enough. Uh, the final track is actually my least favorite track on the record, Boogie Woogie Dance. It's just okay. It's just okay. Not a great song. It didn't need, didn't need to be there. But, you know, sometimes they're just trying to fill out a record, and this is what's left, and they didn't have, they didn't have much, and this thing's got to get done, so good enough is good enough it's sometimes. Get, yeah, that uh, Boogie Woogie Dance is definitely a that'll do kind of yeah. song. You could have ended this record on Sweet Marie, and I would, or Massacre would have been a very good closer, and I would have been fine with it. And again, this is a concept record. I don't know that Boogie Woogie Dance follows the concept of the rest of the album too closely. Or any so concept. Just, or any concept, so it just feels like it's just there. Um, and just a couple of notes. So this is the, I don't know if this is the beginning of the acrimony with Brian Robertson. He's been fired and hired back several times in the band history. So he's really not on here except on Borderline, which is great. He doesn't have much of a writing contribution. He gets to lay down a few solos, but not a writing credit. And this is when it kind of looks like Gary Moore is going to come into the band. And does does he does he come in? Does he not? Supposedly, Phil Collins is also somewhere on this record doing percussion and drums. Uh, they were very close friends, Phil Collins and and Philo. And um, but no one knows what tracks Phil played on. They were not tagged correctly in the reels, so no one knows what his drums are on here. And neither Downey or Gorham have any recollection of Phil being in the studio with them. So it could be one of those things where Phil and Philo show up late, turn on everything, and just lay down. Phil lays down some tracks, and maybe they make it on, and maybe they don't. No one knows. This is the and, second series where Phil Collins has made an appearance. Phil Collins and... makes his appearances. He's that guy. Um, so interestingly enough, this album artwork, which is also, again, another sort of beautiful design with a little bit of a, like, it's beautifully drawn again by Jim Fitzpatrick. Um, 
again, randomly, the iconic Thin Lizzy logo present on the last record is not on here. But there is kind of a cool cartoon element as well as like a classic Celtic element border. And um, that doesn't get talked about quite enough. And then, so the album comes out, and obviously, look, it was going to be a step down from Jailbreak in terms of success, chart success, because you're just not going to be able to catch lightning in a bottle twice. Most bands can't. Um, there is... I mean, there is, some... the, there is nothing wrong with that. No band... You know, in my humble opinion, your record, 10% of your record sales is your fan base every time. And that's it. And then 90% is people who just kind of fell into it that week. I mean, I can tell you, I don't love every band who's on the shelf. I, I don't know anybody who loves every band as a band rather than, you know, it's like, you know, were you a fan of the blues when they won the cup? Were you a fan of the blues in 2005, 2006, when they got the first round over first overall pick, you know, it's that kind of thing, you know, of, a band is a franchise. An album is a season. You know, some seasons you win, some seasons you lose. Right. I think also interesting of note, so the band had not really toured behind Jailbreak, came right back with this record. So they really didn't get to tour Jailbreak. They come back with this record. They do a headline tour of the, U I mean, the UK and Europe, supported by, once again, Clover, featuring Huey Lewis, and basically what becomes Huey Lewis in the news later on. Uh, they play the BBC with Rod Stewart, where they played live and Rod refused to play live, so he lip-synced and he looked terrible and they looked great on national TV, which, you know, must have been a shock as big a star as Rod Stewart is in the late 70s. And then they were supposed to go to the U.S. at the end of the year. And what happened? Robert, Brian Robertson is in a, in a club in London and starts a fist fight and wrecks his guitar hand. Like, God, like how much bad luck anthrax levels of bad luck than lizzie has right um it's it's pretty unbelievable i supposedly one of his friends was about to be attacked with a glass bottle and brian jumped in and his hand gets cut open cutting an artery and a nerve which had to get reattached in the 70s so where was gary moore at that point I mean, well gary that's moore? so so gary moore comes in the band gets their their tours postponed to january and then lizzie goes to the U.S. for three months, their longest consecutive tour ever of anywhere, I think, uh, where they opened for Queen with Gary Moore in for Robertson. And at that point, Brian, we're going to see, you know, he's still in the band, but it's kind of like the seeds are sown for him to be out permanently at that point. He cost them innumerable damage. How many, how many artists or how many members of the band can you name? And I'm not even going to mention except for that I'm mentioning it now. I'm not going to mention that, you know, Thin Lizzy was basically a solo act. Basically. I don't think basically. so. I think they're a band driven by one guy. You can't really call, I mean, like those other guys' contributions are pretty huge. And again, I'm not even saying their contributions don't. I said basically not actually. Okay. It, but I think also like even to their early days before they had this sound with Eric Bell, and and whiskey in the jar and things. I think. All right, we're uh, getting we're getting Nick levels of pedantic now. So. Well, you are the one who wants to do these macro breakdowns of things, and I'm going to defend my point of view. I think it's more of a band than you give it. So credit now, for. now it's all my fault. Okay, fair. I, I, that's probably true. But how many? Nick. Time for a third beer. For Nick. I might. 
I would have to show you my butt and I don't feel like doing that oh, today. But how many times can you name where name somebody they're about to go on tour and somebody in a band where maybe it's a solo project, maybe it's a de facto solo project where they can't tour, someone else comes in and that person comes back. Rare. It's rare. Exactly. Not that if, many times. Uh, Adam D comes to mind from Killswitch Engage. Um, some guys you can't replace, you know, like you could, you could, hey, Brian Robertson's a songwriter and a lead guitarist and a co-lead guitarist and you know, Gary Moore is a legendary a guy also, so you're not losing anything. If anything, you're gaining a guy, you're gaining a talent, but, you know, like certain bands, you know, Brent from Mastodon broke his foot and it's either tour with a boot or not tour at all because they can't replace him. Well, that's, I mean, that's different. That's, that's one of the, that's one of the primary songwriters when it's, when it's an ancillary gentleman. Like Mark St. John comes to mind. Oh, bye, Mark. Uh, <laughs> bye, bye. Yeah, kiss anybody not Gene or Paul for now. It'll be very interesting to see what happens in three years' time no, when there's a new, be. complete new version of Kiss. But there you know, be. we'll get to that. There won't be, but I think there could be because well, I what I have noticed with Kiss fans is being a Kiss fan for the most part is a continual lowering of your expectations and standards. It started off. <laughs> You know, every every year something new happens. Oh well, no lip syncing. You know, it's it's quality, great live shows. Oh well, Paul's old; he can't sing anymore. It's okay. It was never okay to not. To, it was never okay to sing like a wounded cat. Period. Unless you're uh, you know, vicious, this is a is this different. is a huge topic right now. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the videos. I guess we could have talked about this earlier in the episode about Bon Jovi. You know, I did, and bon I actually saw. Having... I saw tonight. I saw somebody on the Kiss forum say he makes Paul sound good. No, he doesn't. Paul sounds like somebody grabbing somebody's nutsack and twisting it like you're playing tetherball. Yeah, I think first of all, first of all, Paul is like ten plus years older than Bon Jovi, but yeah, but I, I think Bon Jovi was lost worse than Bon Jovi is now, fifteen yeah, years ago. That's true. I, yeah, Paul has lost his step vocally for sure, and maybe Bon. I think John, if he hasn't lost the voice, I think he's struggling with his hearing because that seems to be the problem. He's not finding the pitch. So he's, uh -huh. not only is he bad on the pitch, he's not able to correct. He can't hear himself well enough to yeah, correct. He, he's he also might have – he's been playing arenas and stadiums for 35, 40 years. He might have no hearing left. Correct. He is I'm a lot like Ace Fraley is now except not as tone deaf. What would you say? I couldn't hear you. Right. Uh I, I watched You Give Love a Bad Name. Is it bad? Yes. But only compared to what it used to be. If somebody sings that, here, here's the, and I mean, this is a really terrible way of grading this, but I'm saying that before I say this. If somebody sang this at karaoke, your eyes would not cross. You would not cover your ears. You wouldn't go outside for a smoke. You would be like, oh, okay. Because it's not out of key. It's not awful. It's a little pitchy. However, when you go back to what John Bon Jovi used to be, it's not even close. I mean, even it's, 10 years ago. It's My Life right. is not even 10 years ago, right? It's, like, uh, it's, it's My Life is 25 years ago. No, really? Like 19, it's like 2000. No, more recent. Yes. No? Yes. Okay. I guess. I don't want to look it up. I don't care enough about Bon Jovi to look it up. I'm going to say that anybody can have a bad night or a bad tour dates or a bad run of dates. It, you know... 
maybe he needs to go get some teaching and training and healing and right. work, he, work on himself. But, he is low. Like if if you're gonna rank the you know the elderly singers as it were, Paul Stanley is the bottom of the bunch. He's lip syncing now because it's so awful. Then you have David Coverdale. No, I'm sorry. Then you have John Bon Jovi, who's just it's 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 talk singing. It's it's not in key. It's not out of key. It's just it's my life now or never. That that's what he sounds like now, except you know a little bit more. Powerful. Well, he also has the luxury kind of like Vince, where the crowd will sing. Anyway. Oh yeah, and then you just it, have to not suck. You don't have to carry it anymore. You just have you to know. In fairness, we should have Vince in there too. So it's Paul, then it's Vince. Oh, I think Vince is very low on the totem pole of Columbus. yeah i mean so it's paul, but paul and he always was see paul wasn't always Vince well paul at one point in time was the greatest singer in rock i will die saying that i don't it wasn't a, it wasn't a long paul. time but he did have it it was the yeah. 90s like 92 oh. to 98 he was the best singer in rock okay i don't know all right he had improved far greater than his 70s time but he never learned to sing and control the voice so he blew it out so now he yeah. sounds like a ferrari without a muffler and then you have Vince, who just sounds like a pinto without a muffler. But then you have John Bon Jovi, who just sounds like a karaoke singer. And then you where's have David. The... Then you have David Coverdale. Oh, okay. Who's... I was going to say Diamond Dave. Where's Diamond Dave on this list? He retired, so it doesn't count. Oh, he retired. He retired. Vince Neil can be on the list because he's coming back, and he still tours. Diamond Dave, however, retired. And Diamond Dave is above all these. Well, probably not above Bon Jovi. Then you have Coverdale, who he is smart enough to know that he doesn't have that that fifth gear anymore. So he hires dudes that has that fifth gear. Sure. Orchestra. Right. Orchestra can sing like a bastard. He is great. Uh, I saw White Snake. It is about ten years ago, and he was excellent. But he definitely didn't push. He didn't push it too oh, yeah. far. Vocally. I saw about four years ago, and we we showed up the halfway through the set when he was getting to the hits, and then we were there to see Foreigner, or AKA what passes as Foreigner. It was the tour that had uh, the the original member, the one original member, of the whole show. So still terrible, but I don't like Foreigner. I'm sorry, I don't like Foreigner, but it wasn't it wasn't terrible. It just wasn't my thing. I and know. so we um, showed up halfway through the the the, the White Snake set, and like I said, he he wasn't pushing it. He wasn't, you know, you had David Coverdale out there shaking his his hips, and maybe he shouldn't, but he was shirts unbuttoned to the navel still. Maybe it shouldn't be, 70. but it was. Shouldn't be, but yeah, good for him. I, I White Snake is great. I'm not shitting on Bon Jovi. I just thought it was interesting to talk about. It, it's interesting because we are seeing so many people who. I think more so in this generation, the 70s and 80s generation, who really should be able to say, I've climbed the mountain, I've done it, but I can't do it anymore. Mm. And Paul, you know, the, the members of KISS like to talk about the band like a sports team. And if Paul Stanley were on the Blues, he would have been in the American Hockey League seven years ago demoted um or in the front office seven years ago but here we are he's still out there acting like he can do it there you go this was a fun little coda i don't know if you have any further things to add on this record but uh, for this record it was to you i'm 
done. Okay. Uh, I will sum up this record now that we're back on topic a little bit. This is a, it's a really cool record. It is, is it as good as Jailbreak? No, but it was never going to be as good as Jailbreak. Jailbreak was there 11 of 10. And Thin Lizzy, quite frankly, was lucky to get an album of that quality out of those guys. That is a very rare and uncommon occurrence. And more often than not, you don't actually get that out of those guys. Metallica has that when they bring in Bob Rock. Kiss has that when they bring in Bob Ezrin. Although I'm not a big fan of Destroyer, but that's besides the point. You know, Pink Floyd hits that with Alan Parsons working with them, as he will tell you at length at in all his books. You know, but they do it. I said they do the clocks. I should get the credit. This fucking guy. This fucking guy. But they, they do Jailbreak with Phil Lina producing the record, writing the record. The next album is going to be a step down because, you know, Hank Aaron, or, you know, Mark McGuire only hit 70 home runs one season. You build, you crescendo. It's called a climax. Everybody's got one. Then we go into Johnny the Fox, where it is a musical departure. It is an expositional departure, but it is a spectacular departure. He's telling the story. That story is, this is who I am. This is where I'm from. And this is where I want to go. And this is where I no longer want to be. He is Johnny. Johnny is somebody who's made mistakes. Johnny is somebody who he doesn't want to be anymore. He's trying to find a new life in his new life. He's trying to find Phil Lynott in Thin Lizzy. After, once your dreams come true, you know, Willy Wonka says in the, at the end of Charlie and the Chocolate, or at the end of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the book, or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the movie, did you, excuse me, did you ever hear what happened to the man who all of his dreams came true? He lived happily ever after. That is not normally the case. And normally, when all your dreams come true, you have friction. You have imposter syndrome. You wonder, do you deserve this? Is this you? There's a lot of stuff going on. And Johnny the Fox is Phil Lynott dealing with the success of Thin Lizzy. It's also dealing with the loss of what Thin Lizzy could have been in the United States of America had he not gotten sick. Mm. So, and I and I also I'll, I'll just add one last thing, which is although they did that wildly successful Queen tour, which was stadiums, by the way, uh, I think unfortunately I think Lizzie as great a band as they are, I think especially doing the Jailbreak and Johnny the Fox material live and maybe Whiskey in the Jar and some other songs, I think the club would have been better for them. But you know, again, if you've never headlined America in clubs and theaters, you're not going to go headline by yourself a stadium. So agreed. Had to and, open for Queen. You and I, I will finish up with this one statement and then I will let you take us off because it's your turn. But you had said when we started this, the reason why you wanted to do a Thin Lizzy series was because Thin Lizzy was a band who never made it in America, even though they deserved it. And this is the album, in my humble opinion, that makes that point. This is, this could have been a 25 million seller record. This is for me on par with Houses of the Holy, Led Zeppelin II. This is on par with Fleetwood Mac Rumors. I'm not a great fan. This is on par with Pyromania. This is on par with a lot of these extraordinarily classic records that are just ubiquitous everywhere. Well done, my friend. Well Coulda, done. woulda, shoulda. 
Yeah, I get you. I get you. Thanks for listening to the Glacially Musical Podcast. I'm here with Nick Cameron every week. Please follow us on social media. Please check us out on the Apple Podcast or Spotify, Anchor, wherever you listen to these. And please rate us if you can. Leave a comment. Engage us on our socials and talk about these pods and let us know how we're doing. And we greatly appreciate any of your support and your listening ears. This is the Glacially Musical Podcast. It does not play in Peoria.